you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today I'm joined by Neil. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Mads. Good to hear from you. Neil, a few people around the world still don't know who you are. Would you mind just, doing a little bit of an introduction to just make a few, sure Matt. they now do? <laughs> a couple here and there, a couple here and there. Sure. My name is uh, Neil Parekh. I uh, run a company called Made This Franchise. Uh, it is a local cleaning service mainly focused on vacation rentals like Airbnbs. We're based in California and now we're franchising across the U.S. So I've been um, running the business for about seven years, five of which has been while on the road and remote. So our operations team is remote, but of course the cleaners are local. And yeah, that's our company structure. Excellent. And uh, vacation rentals and Corona, that sounds difficult. (laughs) Especially in uh, March, April is very difficult. You'd be surprised how quickly it rebounded, which I don't know if this is a good thing, especially considering it's the U.S., but uh, we're back to full capacity ready, which is, which is interesting. Yeah, I think interesting is a good way of mm-hmm. that. Good. <laughs> well, that's uh, at least business going well. So that's good to you. Yeah, there we go. Right. Neil, we talked a little bit about uh, EOS before this show. And I've actually, mm-hmm. I've actually recently uh, talked with probably someone we both know, uh, Ronnie, who mm-hmm. have also recently implemented EOS and yeah, started working very effectively. So I'd love to talk a little bit about EOS. And then I, I'm also super curious about your, your franchise. But if we start out with EOS, do you want to tell me like how you went about it, how you went about implementing it and so on? Yeah, absolutely. Matt, I'm actually curious about one question I'm going to ask you. You have your own management system. And I've saw, yes. sat in on your presentations a couple of times, loved them. I think there's, there's gold nuggets in every single presentation I sit in where you're presenting. How is that? Is it very similar to EOS in terms of what you have? To, to a large degree, to a large okay. degree. There's definitely, particularly around team meetings, I, I have a little bit different philosophy on how to do that. Um, but, but in general, it's, it's very similar. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so we, we started, we implemented it about a year ago. And I think what we have is, almost like an EOS light. Like there's so many aspects of the EOS. You do a 10-year vision, a five-year vision. And we kind of took the slim down approach to it, which made it more bite-sized. So the actual yeah. process of implementation for us started with um, setting goals, which is called rocks. So every quarter, our management team sets goals of what we want the company to achieve based on an annual vision. So we said, hey, these are the main goals for this quarter, which are called rocks. And then we assign those rocks to each management team member who is held accountable to them on the weekly meeting. And at the end of the quarter, we review who knocked out what items and if they accomplished the goals or not. Yeah. yeah. So the, the other aspect, which is equally important is what I call the scorecard, which is basically your company KPIs. Um, yeah. And the trick, which has been so effective for us is just make sure review rocks and scorecards every single week at the level 10 meeting. So it's called level 10 because you rate the meeting from one to 10, 10 being it was a kick-ass awesome meeting. Um, and you, we go over the rock scorecards as well as issues that we need to cover for the week. And that's really the glue that holds it together. Because if you don't have ongoing meetings, how do you hold anyone accountable? 
Um, so yeah. those are those are the aspects of what we had to do. And candidly, it was kind of awkward at the beginning. <laughs> Implementing a brand new system, setting goals and holding people accountable is just, it took a couple quarters to get used to. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, for most people, and, and honestly, that's the same. Like when, when people go to my training and sort of the way I do things, I, I would say it's generally similar. Like it, it, it does take a little bit to get used to, right? Because obviously most people have been doing something. It, it have worked, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they still have a business, so it haven't totally failed. It have worked and therefore that's what they're used to, right? So actually doing something different definitely takes time and some effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very curious, like how, how long did you feel it took from you guys said, we want to do this thing till you felt it was sort of probably implemented the way you're doing it now? Two quarters, meaning Two half quarters. a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which sounds like a long time, and it is. I think it's just when you change a process to something, it, it's going to feel forced at the beginning, um, which is unfortunate, but it is the reality of it. So it's your job as the leader to drive it because you know that's what's going to help the company. And at a certain point, people become used to it, then it becomes normal and standard. And the beauty now, which is like a year later, is now my operations team and sales team have implemented level 10 meetings within their own staff. Um, oh. And you can't force that, right? You need them to get buy into it, make sure they understand it, and they could implement it in the, within their staff. If I try to force them to do it, it doesn't quite work. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's actually, so one of my absolutely biggest pillars is basically doing one-to-ones with staff members that you work with, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, staff members that report to you. And it's a little bit the same thing. The best way to teach your people how to do it is to do it with them. Right. So like corporately, when I used to work with IBM and so on, you know, you all these managers saying, oh, you should do one to one. You should do one to one. But they weren't doing it themselves. So it's a bit like, you know, people, if people haven't experienced the value of doing it, mm-hmm. they don't understand it. And the problem yeah. with those things is it's so easy to just miss it out and not do it. And therefore, um, actually, the best way to show things in general is actually show them by doing it. Ed, how often do you do one-on-ones? I do it weekly with everyone that reports to me. Got it. And I'm curious about this because um, we don't do official one-to-ones because I'm yeah. kind of always in communication with my team, um, especially my the people who report directly to me. What is your opinion on that? It's almost like we talk to each other all the time anyways. Do we really need a one-on-one to talk more? My opinion is it's probably the biggest differentiator that you can do to impact the performance, right? Um, so you already have targets and goals and now you're going through it as a team, which is, which is great. Uh, really my preference for, because the, the thing is sometimes there's things that, you know, is better discussed on a not team level than on a team mm-hmm. level. <clears throat> and I think for me, fundamentally, one-to-ones is about holding people accountable going through the goals and so on, and really fundamentally building relationship, right? I think what most people really miss out from a business standpoint is this whole relationship piece with their staff, right? And, and mm. we, we touched a little bit on this before the meeting, but what one of the key things is really about um, making sure that you actually build a relationship with your employees. That doesn't mean you have to be the best friend. It doesn't mean you need to go barbecuing with them in the weekend. But, you know, if, if someone comes to you and says, you know, hey, you know, can, can you help me move this weekend? 
right? If you say yes and no, depend generally on how good a relationship you have with that mm-hmm. person, right? And business is the same. If people feel that you don't care about them or you don't have a strong relationship with them, like if, if someone calls you up and say, hey, you know, Bob is sick, I can't go to work. If you don't know if Bob is the kid, the husband or the dog, like my opinion is you don't know your staff well enough, right? Mm. Um, and again, it's not about being friendly. It's not about being someone you're not. It's about showing actual appreciation for your staff and who they are. And I think yep. that what, whatever that format is, like, a, you know, I, I teach a certain format that I think is great in the beginning. Um, but whatever that format is, spending that time to build relationship is, is for me one of the biggest differentiators. And I think generally with meetings, the fundamental problem in general is it's the manager who does 80% of the talking. So mm-hmm. wherever it's normally one-to-ones, team meetings, the manager end up doing 80% of the talking and it ends up being sharing updates about the business instead of actually being stuff that should be in a meeting, which is things you need to take action on. It's things that like performance and so on, right? Where like, because most of the time when people are just sharing information, they could do that in an email and you didn't have to put 10 people into the same place at the same time and so on. Right? Mads, I'm, I'm interested on in that. Do you have kind of a rule of thumb of a manager should be talking for X percent of the meeting? As little as possible, right? Hmm. So um, the, the key philosophy, like when I do a team meeting, my philosophy about team meetings is they are for the team, mm-hmm. right? So the goal of the whole team, like in your case, like you, you would have a team meeting with your exec team and the whole goal here is for the team to solve the challenges. It is not for you to solve the challenges for the team. It is for the team to solve their challenges with each other, right? And the key thing here, and this is what, what a lot of people always say they're missing from their teams is they, they feel they're missing ownership. They feel they're missing initiative. And the reason they're missing that is because when you start talking, everyone else shut up. Mm-hmm. So if you say, oh, we have this problem, we should maybe do this. What do you guys think? well, you already told us what you think we should do. So we're going to agree with you right? in most cases, right? Yep. Um, so the, the fundamental, as the, as the mm-hmm. leader, when, when I'm the leader of a group, I generally have two rules. I want to talk the least and I want to talk last, right? So, so here's a question what, for you, Mads, on that one, yeah, which I think yeah. a lot of people listening might have the same question. The conversation's not going the way you think it's most productive. Meaning if I hear my team talking, I'm like, guys, we're talking about the wrong topic. You guys are going in circles. Let me just interject. Yeah. What do you think about that? Then you need to have a good meeting manager who actually manages the meeting. So again, every single meeting, uh, the most effective meetings have a clear agenda with specific time slots for each talking point or Hmm. per person, right? So for example, when I run a team meeting, uh, each person have a set slot of how long uh, they talk to give an update. Right now, if they have, and I like one of the, one of the big problems in business is that everything happens in 30 or 60 minutes intervals, because that's how outlook work. Uh, hmm. But, but when I make an agenda, I love giving people like seven minutes or eight minutes or whatever, because it makes it clear. Like it's not just 10 minutes as mm-hmm. in that could be eight or that could be 15 or whatever. 
But when I say eight minutes, I mean eight minutes, mm. right? Um, and, and that forces people to learn the most important skill and one of the most important skills in business, which is prioritization. So if you have eight minutes and you have 20 things you want to talk about, that's probably not going to happen. So you need to prioritize and say, what are the three things that I want to talk with my team about that's going to make the biggest difference, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And, and that is a critical skill, right? The, and one of the big problems, I mean, particularly corporate when you have physical meetings, the amount of meetings that drags on and on and on with people just talking about whatever, but doesn't come out with much actionable <clears throat> Uh, actionable things to, to take away is, is mind-blowing, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the fundamental aspect of a meeting is they should be used to make decisions. So if you have a certain problem, your team sits down and say, we have this problem. You know, Ideally, you've shared the data, you've shared the information before the meeting. So the purpose of the meeting is for the team to make a decision, all right? Now, this is also where effective management come in because if you're a good manager you probably know before the meeting what that decision will be, or at least you've, you've talked with people and you have a good idea where, where the wind is blowing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but fundamentally, meetings are about making decisions, are about um, talk, talking about delivery, uh, talking about goals and what you're going to do to make it up. So let's say you go in a meeting and you're like, oh, dude, you know, you're behind target for this month. You know, it's a, it's a, we're just what is it, 7th of July today. So, mm. you know, we're just re- reviewing June's performance and, you know, you didn't deliver. Now, when you come to the meeting and you know you haven't delivered, you come to the meeting with an action plan, sharing with the team of how you're going to not just hit the target next month, but hit the target next month and make up what you're behind. And if you do need any help and support from the rest of the team, that is the time to ask for that, mm-hmm. right? Because one of, one of the key things for me, when, when you're having a team meeting, the, the key thing for me is it is the best time for a team to share resources, to share ideas, to share, you know, optimizations. One of the key things is in most businesses, one person's area of responsibility doesn't really understand how it impacts others. Right. But when people start talking, maybe you say, oh, you know, uh, we've got so many new customers. We're struggling with onboarding. And, you know, we don't, we always need to go back to customers and get this information. You know, maybe if you guys in the sales team could actually ask this stuff up front, our job would be a lot easier. Uh, it could be sharing of resources. Like it could be saying, you know, we, we had someone leave, you know, we're currently understaffed. If someone else in the business maybe have someone who is less busy, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that person can support for a while. But the fundamental mindset for me is that a business is never successful if anyone fails. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if sales succeed, but operation can't deliver, you suck. Mm-hmm. If sales suck, but operations is amazing, you still suck. You fail. Right? right. So the fundamental for me is for your team to work together to make sure that everyone delivers their goals. That, mm. that is the essence for me of having an effective executive team or a really effective team at any level, right? I feel like that's a, uh, it's a fine line, especially on the corporate line, because 
a lot of people know different departments aren't working together well. And that's why things fail. The solution, oh, we'll just have a meeting and it'll get cleared up. That's not the reality of the situation, right? Unless you have an effective meeting tied with that, it's, it's useless. You're just wasting time. And I think that's what a lot of people in the corporate world especially do. You just have a meeting to think it's going to solve it, but that's not the case. I mean, I, <laughs> a great example, I, I worked with a big company at one point that they were doing a new product launch. And no, so they were, they were so the marketing team was doing a big product promotion, mm. right, for a specific product. And they, they blew up this campaign and it cost them about, I think it was 16, 17 million or something. Wow. To, like a huge worldwide campaign. And the product was out of stock. They hadn't. Marketing and sales were looking at it and they'll say, oh, there's huge margins on this product. Let's push it. Like, let's invest everything. Let's push this product. They never checked with the supply chain to see, well, do we actually have this freaking product in stock? Mm-hmm. Right? Jeez. Now, that is a great freaking example of people not talking to each other. Right? Yep. So, again, the key thing with having a team meeting at every level, like from your point of view, when you're looking at the top, the key thing with having those team meetings is getting people to work together. It's mm-hmm. not just about understanding, but it's about how can we ensure other people's success? Because as I said, like in many businesses, that the challenge, and particularly larger businesses, my, my feeling is the problem is that people are incentivized to do well, particularly if other people are not doing well. So if I can sit over here and says, well, you know, I did my job, sales did freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. We blew our target out of the water, so everyone else sucks. Mm-hmm. Right now in the corporate world, that is in many businesses, a good thing. In my opinion, that freaking sucks. Mm -hmm. If you blow over your target significantly and your colleagues miss their goals, you have not been doing what you're supposed to do, which is help your freaking colleagues. Right. Yep. And I think, I think that is the mindset that I generally try and manage with. And that is basically the, the sort of the framework of my system, because mm. I believe that when you, like when you teach your management team to work together, when you, and, and you can do this with incentives, like you could say, Hey, you know, if everyone hits their goals, we all get an incentive. If right. any of us fail, you know, no incentives. And then you can sit back and say, Oh, I did my shit. You suck and all that. But, but, but really in a business, you want to work together. Like, yes, you probably are people who are better than others, but that's not the point. The point is for the business to succeed, everyone needs to succeed. And I I think the core of that, even before the meeting part, is making sure you're onboarding the right people. The right people who want rally behind the company's message, rally behind being a proper team member. And if so, if you have those right people in mind, they're looking out for the other person naturally. You don't necessarily need a structure to do it if you have the right people at the beginning. Obviously, a structure is needed to enhance what you're doing. Uh, but that's, I think, what we found is just the motivation comes from having good people. Like our, our team member, yeah. I love them. Like there's, there's really good people and I think they don't want to fail the other person. That's why they're doing what they're doing. It's almost like you don't need all of this structure if you have that base. On the other hand, we've also just implemented something, a profit share program, um, yet to be seen how effective it is on incentivization because we implemented it earlier this year. And I have a feeling it's something like um, like us implementing uh, EOS, where it's going to take a couple quarters for people to get used to the fact, oh, there's money coming in from a profit share. And you know the goal is just for people to be aware of like us wasting money and them to take ownership over, hey, this is our pool of money that we're going to see. So yeah. 
anyways, yet to be seen if it's going to be effective or not. I think they need to see the money coming in, which it's just in a brand new phase, so it hasn't really hit home for them. But that's something we're doing to try to rally people behind the same cause as well. Excellent. I like that. I yeah. like that a lot. Right. So where, where are you with the US right now? So you, you're basically implemented. How long have it been running? About a year. About a year. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So you basically felt really good about it for about six months or so. That'd be... Yep. About six okay. months. Um, I think the parts, the quarterly meetings are going well. We're going to have our next one coming up. I think setting the rocks, scorecards, um, I've actually tied the profit share to the core values, which are based on EOS as well for the, for the quarterly reviews. So that part's all set. I think the part I candidly and probably need to do better is holding team members accountable to what yeah. they say they're going to do, which is tough. because I think naturally I tend to be a people pleaser. And I think it's also very important to know what your personality default is, especially as a manager and a leader. I'm naturally a people pleaser, meaning yeah. I don't want to stir the boat and I recognize that. So as it comes to holding people accountable, I tend to have a little bit of a struggle with that. Um, and so that's where I think having a nice system, which automatically holds people accountable is very helpful, but that's still something I'm working on. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, definitely again, this is where for me team meetings are critical, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, it's not just about people keeping each other accountable, which it also is, but I think it's, it's really this, when you have a bunch of colleagues sitting around trying to help you, like you don't want to fail them either. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and the fundamental here is that different people are motivated by different things. And this mm -hmm. is one thing that a lot of business owners get really wrong. Like it's not like everyone's motivated by money or everyone's motivated by whatever people are motivated by different things. And the more different motivational levers that you can push, the more likely you are to hit the ones that, you know, basically hit the entire team. So mm -hmm. for example, the bonus structure you're doing will work really, really well for some people. For and some people team. will be like, Oh, well, you know, I don't really care too much. I'm happy the way I am. Yep. Uh, so, so understanding that people is different is really, really key. Right, because Mads, what tool do you use to understand that? I, I use disk, so I'm 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 a big bit advocate for for the disk behavior tool, and that basically for me that basically helped me understand all of that. Um, hmm. Okay, right. it's it, it's one of the key foundations for my management training in general, um, and and it's fundamental because. One of the things, well, a lot of these, I mean, Myers-Briggs is probably one of the most popular, right? And the, the challenge with something like Myers-Briggs is you're kind of like, hey, Neil, you know, take this test and then I know who you are. Mm -hmm. uh, the fundamental and the, the reason why I'm a huge advocate of this is that when you learn how to use it, basically what happens is that you become able to tell people's personality without them doing a test. Mm -hmm. And that is powerful because... The problem with tests is twofold. One is a lot of people don't actually know themselves that well, believe it or not. And two, particularly in interview situations where this ability is fantastic, mm -hmm. uh, people will generally tell you what they think you want to hear rather necessarily than the truth. So if you have a job post and it says, you know, we need someone super organized, 
and you have some kind of personality and says, you know, are you organized or something along those lines, people will always answer yes. And <laughs> I know that because I've tested it out, right? Yeah. So, so people aren't stupid. Well, most people aren't. And I, I think that's where, for me, most personality tests breaks down uh, in one of those two areas, right? Uh, do you still have me, the team take the actual test or do you just already know at no. this point, yeah, you're an I, you're a high I? No. Yeah, it's, it's not needed. I mean, it's, okay. it's, well, I mean, for me, basically, when, I, when someone I don't know sits down next to me in an airplane, I can generally tell the personality, right? So it, mm. it is literally, a, when you learn DISC or when you get good at behaviors, it is literally a 10, 20 second thing. Right? And Matt, at that point, do you also know what type of incentive they're incentivized yes. by whether it's money, whether the disk analysis yeah. to place. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, so basically the, the, the sort of four fundamentals. So high D's uh, and, and again, uh, a little bit sorry for people who, who don't know this, but basically four different personalities, D, I, S, and C. Um, so basically high D's are generally motiv motivated by money power. So like promotion, um, yeah, being given important projects, getting paid more money, bonuses, et cetera, is, is core motivator for these. The higher eyes are generally motivated by eyeballs. So that means attention, meaning, you know, if, if you, like, <laughs> for example, if you do like a, the worst employee of the quarter and you give it to a high eye and they'll be like walking on stage or whatever in front of your whole company and like, yeah, I was the worst performer. You know, mm -hmm. they, they love the eyeballs so much that even if it's, let's call it negative attention. They love it. Um, and, and generally, they also somewhat get encouraged quite a bit by money because most high eyes have learned that if they have a lot of money, they can buy stuff that makes people look at them. Um, but, but sort of core fundamental money doesn't really motivate them so much, but basically because they realize what they can do with money, basically money becomes important to them. And then you have the high S's who are absolutely not motivated by money at all. They're motivated by other people's happiness generally. So for them, the best thing you can do is team bonuses because if you have a high S and if you say, oh, you know, I'll double your salary next month if you hit the goal, they'll generally be like, ah, oh, whatever. Um, but if you tell them, I'll, you know, give the whole team an incentive. If the team hits the goal, they don't want to let the team down and they mm. don't want to be the reason why the team doesn't get a bonus, right? So for high SS, team bonuses are, are the most effective. Um, and, and generally, like, they're motivated by happiness of people and uh, good things happening and, you know, things like mm -hmm. a, a team retreat or a team event or, you know, something that brings people together and creates happiness and so on. That's what motivates them. And the high C's are generally motivated by being right. Uh, <laughs> that sounds a bit interesting, but unfortunately by nature, high C's care more about being right than being effective. Um, and what that means is like, if they have an argument or something, they are always trying to win to them. It's like mm. winning or losing an argument. It doesn't really matter if, if the actual outcome of the discussion is not very positive. Uh, in terms of how they get motivated, if you actually instead of giving them a bonus, like buy them a bigger monitor so they can do their job more efficiently, they would be much happier for that, right? Hmm. So, Interesting. Yeah.
So yeah, just breakdown. Uh, again, even even if you don't know the different personalities, etc., uh, understanding that people are motivated a lot by different things is really important. Right? Yep, absolutely. And on our end, I mean, look, we work with <clears throat> this is about the office staff. Yeah. Call it white collar labor. It's a remote team. Fall easily within the disk analysis, and I, I could actually see where our team members are along that. What we also work with is a lot of blue collar vendors who are the cleaners we work with. Um, it's a different, I don't want to get, call it a skill set, but there's a different way to manage, I think, office workers versus, versus blue collar workers, which is actually very different. I mean, I, I think it probably falls in line with the disk analysis, but the incentives and how to, how to actually motivate them, I feel is, is very different. Um, so that's another thing to consider. It, it could also be a question of the type of people you have doing those jobs. Mm-hmm. So it could also very likely be that the people you hire to do cleaning maybe have different types of personalities than people you hire doing the office work. Um, True. My, my, my experience in general is that, again, the way this flows through and the way this works is, is very consistent. Um, and I think generally... Uh, obviously there can be a difference in the sense of, you know, some people would take a cleaning job because they just need something to make some money. And no matter your personality, if you're doing it because you have no other option, your whole mindset is probably slightly different than, you know, if you have a job that you really like and enjoy and so on. Right. So that, that in itself can definitely make a, a differentiator and it can also kind of make a difference in how you want to manage those people. Right, because with, yeah. with people who are doing a job they don't want to do, you you might have to be a little bit more forceful sometimes, and so on. Yeah. Right? But but everything else being equal, uh, generally people want to be managed the same, if you will. Yeah, at least what I found, and these are all cleaners who want to do what they're doing, because you know they generally those are the ones who are very motivated. I've tend to find, at least in the blue collar world, recognition works a lot more and it could be just the type of personality these people tend to be but recognition and money seem to be the highest motivators at least in this crowd from what i've seen praising someone um seems to be significantly more effective with blue collar as opposed to it might be for our office staff um i don't know why it is i think possibly it's just because many of these workers tend to be underappreciated in general if you show appreciation you can get a lot more out of the workers uh, and normal so i think that's a big this big piece of it yeah, I mean, I think in general in the world, people seem to be underappreciated, right? So I, I think that's definitely a, that's definitely a very good point. Uh, I, I I think as well though that um, it, it it sounds to me a bit like it's it's more personality thing. So when you're working particularly high C's, for example, don't really care much for praise. Like they like sitting down, you know, working through things, doing mm-hmm. things, getting things done, and you know, they don't need an employee of the month award and, and like they don't really care about those kind of things very much. Right. Whereas it means uh, it makes a much bigger difference to others. Like if, you, if you're looking at a team of developers who are typically high Cs, um, you would see majority of those praise doesn't do a lot for you, right? Yep. Accountants and the likes. Whereas if you're working with a sales team or like even a pat on the back for a sales guy saying, hey, dude, great day. Like even if it wasn't, like that goes a long way, right? Because they, mm-hmm. they really appreciate that type of, that type of feedback. So I, I think it could be a good mix of, of both personalities yeah. and so Agreed. on. Agreed. Right? Agreed. So. 
but that's cool. That's cool. And uh, yeah, you also told me, which sounded very interesting. You, you're working on a franchise model with this. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So the um, with Made This, um, what we are is a cleaning concept, and uh, and we work with a lot, a lot of vacation rentals. Uh, we do regular residential cleaning as well as vacation rental cleanings in California. And now we're expanding across the US with the same franchise model. It's a work from anywhere concept. So I've actually been traveling for about five years while building this local company. So it's kind of what I call a remote local company. And yeah, uh, yeah just honestly trying to revolutionize the franchise world. I feel like it's a very old school industry. A lot of our competitors are in my opinion, quite old school. And if you look at what we're doing, especially for a, a market like cleaning uh, and doing it in a work from anywhere way, it's, it's kind of, uh, someone called us the millennial franchise. So I guess we'll go with that for now. And yeah, just expanding across the US and finding like-minded people to join us. Excellent. That sounds interesting. And what, what are typical people who, who get involved with that? Sure. So, I mean, we just launched, so we're still vetting a lot of different people. We're probably going to hand select just certain people to target certain cities, which are very ripe for disruption. Um, jury's out in terms of who would be the best fit. I probably see it as someone similar to me. I mean, you're coming from the corporate world. Maybe you want to escape what you're doing, or maybe you have an existing business, which is really good in marketing and you want to expand again to local spectrum. Um, it could be a variety of different people, but probably someone who fits in kind of this crowd is what I'm saying. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really interesting, and I, I really like. I mean, the franchise model in general is great, right? And and I think, uh, yeah, I, th I think it's a very interesting concept that you're trying to to sort of bring a bit of youth to it and and bring a little bit of sort of new new eyes to it, right? Because typically, franchise has been something where you needed to, like McDonald's or whatever, where you need to pay a ton of money, and you know, it, often a good investment, but you know, it's, it, it often takes a lot to get started and so on. So mm -hmm. I, I'm really, really, uh, really interested to hear how you generally get on with this. Yeah. And I mean, you, you'll like this. We're pretty much forcing everyone to use both EOS as well as the profit first system. So it's stuff, which is like, Hey, we've spent a ton of time trying to figure out a good management system and have something which is working. Now we're just going to force everyone to use the exact same management system and obviously add their own flair to it, right? Every single yeah. manager is going to be a different person. Every leader of their business is going to be a different type of leader, which I think is very important. But if you have a system like your system or EUS actually implemented and have everyone running it, things can be done much more efficiently from the beginning. I kind of wish someone told me just to have a management system at the beginning, but no one did. So now we're just going to make all of our franchisees have the same system. Yeah, and I, I love that, right? Because it's, I mean... When, and, and again, if you look back at McDonald's, right, that's actually probably one of the reasons why they've done so well, right? Because they didn't just say, oh, you know, build a store like this, but, but, but they really focused on making sure people had the same experience mm -hmm. with, with like if you visit a McDonald's in you know, New Orleans or you visit one in Europe, you have a somewhat similar experience. And I, I think that's, a, that's something generally for franchises to strive for. Because you want people, like, again, if people move from New York to wherever and, you know, they use the same service, you want them to have a very similar experience, right? So, so making sure that you have solid systems that you're sharing with the, the franchisees sounds like a, a solid plan for sure. Yep, absolutely. Excellent. Well, that sounds very exciting, Neil. I'm very excited to hear how you get on with that. Thanks, man. It's exciting stuff. So, 
Before we finish up, anything else that you feel, any, any great advice that you really want to share or anything you think would be super valuable for other sort of small entrepreneurs that you've learned over the years? Yeah. I think what's always interesting is learning from other people's failures, right? It's not like everyone's born a great manager. Well, Mads, maybe, hey, you were born a great manager. <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> um, but at least for me, I think what I found out through the years, I came from a corporate background. I worked in venture capital for a while. Um, one thing I realized while being there is you never really get to act like yourself. Um, you're oftentimes trying to impress other people or act in a certain way that the corporation expects you to act. Um, and what that means is um, even your management style ends up being whatever the company wants it to be. You don't really get to be yourself. So I think even coming in to managing my own team and creating my own company culture, I, the parts where I failed were where I was not being myself where someone said, hey, you need to be stricter, where someone said, hey, you need to do this. And it was just against my personality. Every time I took that advice, I ended up not doing, it was the wrong decision or ended up pissing someone off. And that's because I think from a team perspective, when you're managing people, first and foremost, they want to know they could trust you. And that's by being authentic. That's why by being yourself and being who you are first. Once they trust you, everything else is secondary. And then you can manage them based off of that. But if you're not acting like yourself, and you try to do something, it's so off character that it's, people are just going to sense it and it doesn't work. So for me now, it's, I'm generally a pretty friendly person, right? So I, the way I manage people is more of coming at them on a friendly aspect. I'm not going to be buddy, buddy with all of my maybe direct reports, like, but we are very, yeah, the way I manage them is more like, Hey, look, let's just sit down and talk. It's almost like if we're having a beer or sitting down, like, cool, tell me what's up. We're going to have a quarterly review right now. That's just because that's my style. That's my personality. So my advice to anyone would be don't go against your nature if you're trying to manage people because the number one thing you want to build is trust and you only do that by being your authentic self. So make sure you do that first. Yeah, I definitely love that. And I, I think, I mean, I, I totally agree with you both corporately, but, but also this is what I see a lot of entrepreneurs f fall into. Like they mm -hmm. look at these people, like many of the people who idolize the worldwide, like Musk and, and so on, right? Like they have very distinctive styles. Mm -hmm. and and that doesn't mean that that works for you right Correct. because and, and this is actually again one of the key things with disc is really figuring out like what is your absolute core strength and what is your weaknesses because you want to do more of what you're good at and you want to do less of your weaknesses right so mm -hmm. really having a good handle on what you what you struggle with and what what you're good at is really really critical to be the best version of yourself Right. Yep. And totally agree that the, a lot of managers fall into this trap and they try and be a, a lot of the time, particularly reserved people try and become a lot more assertive than mm -hmm. they really are comfortable with. Right. Yep. And that is definitely something that, yeah, a lot of people end up having some very bad experiences with. Right. Uh, yep. and, and, and the challenge is they're just following common advice, if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, excellent. Well, that was awesome for talking with you, Neil. I will, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll really look forward to hear how you're getting on in general. And uh, if people are eager to either get hold of yourself or want to know more about your cool franchise and so on, how, how do they do that? And what's the best way to contact you? Sure. They could go to uh, Made This Franchise, M-A-I-D-T-H-I-S franchise.com. Um, also, if you just search me on the web, my website's neilparek.co. Um, so just shoot me a message and always happy to talk. Excellent. That sounds fantastic, man. And to the audience, you'll get the chance to listen to us again next week. Thank you very much for listening. 
Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.